0: Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Niger, Brazil, Burma, and the United States. I'm also going to close out this week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I'm talking about a Canadian. I think that's the first time that I've noted a Canadian fascist. Starting off with Niger, there has been a coup in that country. First, the guards at the presidential palace overturned the democratic government of Mohamed Bazoum. They dissolved the constitution and all other institutions in the West African country. The army is now in charge. The government is now led by General Tichiani, who is appealing for recognition from the countries that had previously recognized Niger's democratic president. Western governments, most specifically France, which still wields an extremely large amount of power in the West African region that it previously held under colonial dominion, has specifically called for sanctions and isolation for this military government. But that's probably all that they're going to do. That would be my guess. Moving on to Brazil, in a sort of Unfortunate, in my opinion, update on the condition of the investigation of former President Jair Bolsonaro's attempted coup on January 8th of this year, the troops that had been investigated by the Lula government regarding their participation in this coup have been freed and essentially, like, you know, said that nothing went, went wrong by the military police. Specifically, these were troops who were involved in the protection of the presidential palace on the day of the coup. And they either abandoned their posts or possibly some of them knew about the fact that this mob was going to approach the presidential palace and try to trash it and maybe like try to use their presence in the space to overturn the democratic election. Although, you know, Lula was already president at the time. This means that the Brazilian military police says that these people were not really involved in the coup. So it really depends on how much you trust the military police as to whether or not you think that this is like, okay, well, I guess this is good because it means that the military wasn't involved in the coup, or it means that part of the military is covering up a different part of the military's involvement in the coup. We'll probably only learn more about this in the years to come. Moving on to Burma, Aung San Suu Kyi has been officially pardoned on some of the charges that she faces against the military government that overthrew her some two or three years ago she has been partially pardoned, but she still faces 14 cases. Additionally, the military government of Burma, which is also sometimes known in some countries as Myanmar, uh, this military government has extended its emergency, which means that civilian government has yet to return to Myanmar. They have said that they're going to return civilian government basically every year and just don't. Uh, For the record, folks, that's what military governments do. They say that they're going to return civilian government and then they just kind of like being in charge and don't return it. Aung San Suu Kyi remains charged with corruption charges and also a bunch of essentially fake crimes that have kept her under lock and key by the military government since their seizure of power. Moving on to the United States, a staffer for Marjorie Taylor Green, the conspiratorial, QAnon, misogynist, anti-queer, racist, member of Congress from Georgia, one of her staffers has been linked with Nick Fuentes, the country's leading fascist demagogue. The staffer is named Lance Smith. He is a pretty young guy. He's in his 20s. He's coming out of Texas, and he worked with Nick Fuentes and Nick Fuentes' America First organization, an organization that promotes essentially fascism, white supremacism, anti-queer ideology in the United States. He live-streamed on Nick Fuentes' platforms. He owns a number of URLs that redirect to Fuentes' platforms. He essentially is an ally of Nick Fuentes and a a, a minor player in his online ideological empire. At the same time, though, he was also on the payroll of the Marjorie Taylor Greene congressional campaign. He received $55,000 on that payroll between 2022 and 2023, essentially the midterm season. This is because Lance Smith produces, or at least, you know, his, his big business model, what he claims to do is that he produces pro-Trump and like right-wing propaganda that people can use, that people can buy. This, at the very least, means that Marjorie Taylor Greene and her campaign were like, yeah, this fascist content that this guy provides on the internet, that's what we want people to see when they think about Marjorie Taylor Greene that they liked his fascist content and wanted him to work with them. That's at the very least. At the most, this is another institutional link between a real GOP candidate and literal open fascists. Now, Green has already been linked with Fuentes. She had spoken at an America First political action convention. This is Fuentes's fascist political event that he holds every year about the same time as CPAC, which is the sort of mainstream big conservative event. But this means that there's actual money flowing between these two people, between these two camps of the right wing in the United States. And that means that, you know, when there's money actually flowing, that means that like mainstream GOP donors, or possibly like money that might have come from the Republican National Committee, actually went to a fascist, Lance Smith. And that that fascist is connected to the biggest fascist in the United States, Nick Fuentes. So this is a real follow the money type situation. All right, now moving on to the big story this week in fascism. Trump has been indicted again. And yes, I know this is the third indictment in just a couple months. You might be getting indictment fatigue. A lot of people are. But I promise, folks, this is the big one. Donald Trump has been charged with four cases in Washington, D.C. These include one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States, specifically This regards Trump's attempts to spread fake claims about the November 2020 election, claims that he knew were not true, like, for example, saying that the election was stolen or that electors were falsifying claims or that, you know, certain voters were not allowed to vote or that certain votes were counted twice or something like that. This claim, so like this charge, says that his statements constitute an attempt to overthrow the 2020 election. That means that, like, prosecutors are saying, like, hey, these lies that he told, these aren't just lies. They're not just anything. This was a concerted effort to overturn the election. That's just one of the counts that he faces. The second count is one of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. This is about the organization and planning by Donald Trump and his allies to prevent the certification of the Electoral College on January 6th. Remember, that is what they were specifically trying to do. When they invaded Capitol Hill on January 6th, they were trying to prevent the Senate and the House from ratifying the votes of the Electoral College. So this, again, is the government of the United States saying, hey, Donald Trump and his buddies tried to stage a coup. They tried to prevent the assumption of power by Donald Trump's duly elected successor. So that one, this one is the like, you tried to stage a coup charge. That's only charge number two. Charge number three is one count of obstruction and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. This one is, again, about the actual staging of the coup. However, the, the the efforts related in this charge range all the way back to November 2020, up until January the 7th of 2021, while Trump was continuing to try to find ways to prevent Joe Biden from taking power in the United States. Like, pursuing all legal options that they could. And by legal options, I mean related to the law, not legal as in like how the law is supposed to work. This is, you know, this is another one of these charges where they're saying like, hey, you attempted a coup. You tried to take power when it was not supposed to be yours. And lastly, and this one is maybe the most disturbing, uh, charge number four is one count of conspiracy against rights this refers to Donald Trump and his co-conspirators, their attempts to, and this is a quote from the indictment, their attempts to, quote, oppress, threaten, and intimidate citizens of the United States, trying to prevent people from using their right to vote, trying to prevent people from having their votes counted. Once again, this is the government of the United States saying that, yes, the president, when he was the president, made a plan to prevent people's votes from being counted he made a plan to try to prevent an election from taking place legitimately. Now a lot of these charges that the prosecution has alleged and you know filed against Donald Trump are things that haven't been used since the civil war. This is some old-time religion shit. The indictment also names a number of other unindicted co-conspirators. These are mostly lawyers who worked with Donald Trump on the plan because of course Donald Trump is not a legal expert. He did not write or plan most of this shit by himself. People have figured out through clues in the indictment who these people are. They include Rudy Giuliani, Powell, and Eastman. These are all people who are known quantities in Trump land, people who were legal advisors for Donald Trump in the apparatus of his attempted coup. Now, a lot of this stuff that this indictment says is shit that we already knew right? We already knew that Donald Trump was planning this stuff. We already knew his motivations for doing all this stuff, right? This is not exactly a revelation, but this is the United States government finally saying, yeah, the president attempted a coup. They are, they are saying it in as many words as they ever will. Really disturbingly, in one section of this indictment, in another one of these unnamed conspirators, uh, this is likely Jeff Clark, based on what people can find in the document, he openly discussed invoking the Insurrection Act in the case of the coup's success. Now, the Insurrection Act is separate from the charges of insurrection levied against the people who participated in the coup. The Insurrection Act is something else. It gives the president broad authoritarian and martial law-type powers in the case of an insurrection in the United States. So it is a counter-revolutionary law that exists in the United States in order to prevent you know, basically socialist uprisings, shit like that, right? And this is Jeff Clark, a lawyer working for the president, working for Donald Trump, saying that if the coup succeeded in the Capitol, they knew that there would be big riots and protests all around the country and that they were planning on invoking the Insurrection Act in order to give Trump and the rest of the federal government the power to stop them. So yes, this is the federal government saying that people who worked with Donald Trump were openly planning to attack, imprison, and possibly kill you and your loved ones if you stood up to them. Now, that is as close to a smoking gun as we have gotten so far, at least as officially alleged by the United States government. This is the most serious claim that a former president has received in the history of the United States. This is some real shit. However, Donald Trump is still leading the GOP nomination by a landslide. There is basically no other candidate that has been fielded in the GOP presidential nomination cycle that has any chance of beating him at this point. So we are in totally unprecedented territory. We have no idea what would happen to these cases if Donald Trump were nominated. Would they go forward? How would they possibly go forward? What kind of riots in the streets would there be if Donald Trump were convicted while he was the nominee for the Republican Party? What would happen if he were elected and these cases were still happening? Would he overturn them? Would he stop them? Would he try to pardon himself? What if he were already convicted of these crimes and, and he was elected president? Like, we, we, we have absolutely no idea that, that there is no legal precedence for this. Finally, I'm going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I'm talking about Adrien Arcan, the Canadian Führer. Arcan was born in Montreal in 1899. His father was an active member of the Labour Party there and an open anti-Chinese racist who advocated racist immigration policies and policing practices, which means that Adrien came by his fascism naturally. He did very well in school but was motivated to join journalism, Because his studies at McGill University were interrupted by the 1918 flu, aka the Spanish flu. He did very well as a journalist and was eventually hired by several newspapers and left his studies in the sciences to go work as a journalist. That became his career. However, in the 1930s, he was fired for trade unionist activity, which radicalized him to the right wing. He started his own sort of like jocular, you know, juvenile newspaper, which eventually started to run more and more anti-Semitic content because of his hatred for journalists, which he linked to, you know, Semitic conspiracies, right? That's what he thought was happening. He also thought that Canada was for its two nations, right? The English and the French, and that the others didn't belong. This includes like other white people, like Germans or Polish people. He also hated France, though, because of its secularism and leftism. He was a confirmed Anglophile. In 1932, Archon had his first contact with the Nazis, specifically with an, you know, a representative that the Nazis sent to Montreal. He had contact with other fascists in Europe and the United Kingdom, including Oswald Mosley, with whom he remained in correspondence until his death. In 1934, Arcan started the Christian National Social Party, a Catholic anti-communist party, a.k.a. a fascist party. In 1938, this merged with another fascist party, uh, an, an Anglo fascist party, an English-language fascist party in Canada, to become the National Unity Party of Canada. Arcong was its leader. It was an openly pro-Nazi and pro-fascist political organization. This didn't fly once Canada got more and more involved in World War II, and so in 1940, he was arrested in Montreal for plotting to overthrow the state. He remained in jail in a concentration camp until the conclusion of World War II, and his party was banned. After the war, he was released, and he stood for parliament twice in Canada and came in second both times. He got 29% of the vote and then 39% of the vote. He then spent the rest of his life from 1946 until his death doing a lot of anti-Semitic publishing, and he eventually became a mentor to Ernst Zündel, who was a prominent German-Canadian anti-Semitic publisher, who was actually a through-line to a number of white supremacists in the 80s and 90s. He never recanted his fascism and never recanted his belief that Adolf Hitler was a world-historic hero. Arkan died of an unnamed illness this week in history, either August the 1st or the 3rd, I've seen both, 1967. So, Adrienne Arkan, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15MinutesOfFascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at histoftheright, that's H-I-S-T of the right, also on Twitter at fascism15. That's uh, spelled out. And I am on blue sky at 15 M I N S of fash F A S C. And that 15 is actually the numeral blue sky has a different, you know, number of characters you're allowed to use. All right. Thanks very much. And I will talk to you next week.